The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Well, grace and peace to you this morning. Um, If you have your Bible, please open to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and we'll be begin with a reading from the first part of that chapter. Uh, I want to thank all the uh, young people who helped last night put on the Senior Saints Banquet. That was a lovely time. Everybody had a, had a great time, and we appreciate um, the hard work that the, the young people gave to putting that on, and also all the volunteers. There were a lot of parents um, uh, of those young people helping as well behind the scenes. and So we appreciate you, appreciate you doing that. I know this next week, there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, chocolate and uh, Valentine's candy around the house, and so I thought it would be a good time to preach on temptation. So uh, we're going to read the, the passage about the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. Maybe, maybe we'll go a little bit deeper than chocolate and candy. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, self down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. Those are lines from a a, a Charlie Daniels uh, song, a famous one that have been emblazoned into my memory. I cannot tell you how many times I heard that song on country radio eyes growing up. And it was a fun song. It had some great fiddle parts um, in it. But what made the song so interesting was that it told a story. And it's sort of that classic story of of good versus evil. But in this case, the evil is greater than in most stories because you're dealing with the devil. And for some strange reason, we enjoy stories about Satan and his minions. Now, hopefully, the joy comes from seeing good triumph over evil. But stories like these have always been popular. In 1320, Dante completed his elaborate vision of the afterlife known as the Divine Comedy. In 1667, John Milton published Paradise Lost. In 
and little has changed in modern times. Movies like The Exorcist and The Omen are enjoyed by many. The Rolling Stones sung about sympathy for the devil. And the devil is even seen as comic fodder in films like Little Nicky starring Adam Sandler. Why are we so fascinated by this figure known as the devil? Why does he continue to show up in music, literature, and film? Well, there are probably several reasons uh, for this, several ways that you can answer those questions. But let me make a couple of observations. I believe that he continues to show up because deep down, people know that Satan is real. No matter if you're religious or not, people are aware of the power of evil. And everyone understands that evil is a problem in this world. And it's something that needs to be dealt with. And so this is a reoccurring theme no matter what culture or what time period uh, that you live in. No one denies the presence of evil. And I think for this reason, it is good that we continue to see the devil show up in pop culture because we are acknowledging his existence. And in most cases, not all, but in most cases, we are celebrating stories that recognize that he can be defeated. Now, the downside to finding the devil in pop culture is that, that sometimes what we know about the devil is based off of movies, books, and TV shows more than Scripture. And so works by Milton and Dante have had a lasting legacy on how people view the devil and how people think about the devil. In fact, when you hear the name devil, you probably think of a character who is red with horns and a pointy tail and carries around a pitchfork. And this is an image that is sort of ingrained into everyone's mind, even though we don't find a description of the devil or Satan in Scripture. There are many things that we believe about the devil that have just been made up over the years. They're sort of legend, folklore. I think it is good that society recognizes the existence of evil. We tell stories about it. But when we form our opinions of Satan, we need to do so based on the Word of God. So the story that we read this morning is perhaps the most famous uh, story in Scripture about the devil. And it's a story that we could spend a lot of time with. For instance, you could probably spend a lesson just exploring each temptation and look at it in depth. And I will say a little bit about those temptations this morning, but, I, but what I want us to do is see how Satan tempts us and then look at some ways that we can avoid uh, succumbing to his temptation. I want us to understand how Satan works in our lives and how we can resist him and how we can even fight back. Now, it's important when we look at this story that we begin in the right place. A lot of time, we just, uh, we just read this temptation account, and that's it. We just kind of look at it on its own. But each time that we find this story in Scripture, it is attached to the baptism of Jesus. And so you find it in three places. You find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
And in, in each of those instances, it comes right after his baptism. This means that Jesus is baptized and then he's tempted. And these two stories are connected. They go together. Why is this significant? What happens at Jesus' baptism? One of the most significant points of the baptism of Jesus is that he is identified. And so the heavens open and, and a voice speaks and God the Father says, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And God identifies Jesus as being his Son. He is the Son of God. This is his identity. This is who he is. And this is important because when Satan tempts Jesus, he does so by attacking his identity. The first thing that Satan will say, if, if you are the Son of God, and he says it again in verse 6, and as soon as Jesus is identified at his baptism, Satan attacks his identity. Let's spend a couple of moments looking at these temptations. And we need to remember that, that all these temptations are pointing to something else. Um, and, and so there's a lot of symbolism here. The number 40, um, Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness. The number 40 is significant throughout Scripture. The people of Israel were tested in the wilderness for 40 years and they failed. Jesus is going to be tested, but he will not fail. He will overcome these temptations. And it's not because they are somehow less of a temptation than what the Israelites face. In fact, the Hebrew writer tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are. Hebrews 4 and verse 15. And so these temptations are real. They are legitimate, but Jesus overcomes. And so the first temptation is bread. Jesus has been fasting. He's been going without food for 40 days. And Satan tempts him to turn some stones, some rocks, into bread. And hunger is a strong temptation. Anyone who has ever gone without, anyone who has maybe dieted, understands this. We want to eat. We like to eat. And we want to eat things that, that we enjoy. We don't want broccoli so much as we want some of those donuts in the back, you know. Um, that's a temptation when we walk through the door. Um, but this temptation goes deeper than just hunger here. It goes back to the wilderness where the Israelites complained. And whenever they did not get what they wanted, they abandoned God. And they desired to go back to Egypt. And they wanted to serve Pharaoh. They wanted Pharaoh to be their God. And so this is a temptation about trust. What do we trust in? God is the one who provides. He gives Israel manna from heaven. Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. God will sustain us. But not only physically. In fact, when Satan presents Jesus with this, with this temptation, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, where it says, man will not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so when we gather around the table every Sunday, we do so in order to receive spiritual nourishment, 
that only God can, can provide. The second temptation is one of survival. Again, this temptation cuts to our very nature. We want to eat. We want to survive. And because Jesus is the Son of God, um, he does not have to die. And this temptation is more about the future than it is the past. And it's going to come up again as Jesus moves closer and closer to the cross. And so we learn that Jesus chooses love over what is natural. Jesus is a human being. He does not want to die. None of us want to die. But his love for us is greater than his feelings of self-preservation. And so he makes the greatest sacrifice known to humanity. He lays down his life. And not just for his friends, not just for the people who like him, who serve him, but he does so for his enemies as well. And he shows us what love is. And so life is full of hard choices. And most of the time, we are going to choose what is best for us. Because this is just how all of us are. We naturally think of ourselves first. But here's the difficult thing about Christianity. Christianity flips this and it calls us to think of others first. It calls us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And it asks us to make tough decisions based on our love for God and others. The third temptation is about power. And we learn the kingdoms of this world belong to Satan. And he's willing to hand them over to Jesus if he will just bow down and worship him. And this harkens back to Israel's desire for a king. They wanted to be like other nations, even though God told them all the the negative things that would happen to them. Jesus' own disciples desired power. They wanted to sit on his right hand and his left. And the thing is that the kingdom of God is different. We're told that the last will be first and the first will be last. And that the greatest in the kingdom of God will be those who commit themselves to serving others. And so in the kingdom of God, this temptation for power, if we do things right, is taken away. Power is so dangerous that it's so corrupting that it's taken off the table within the kingdom. We're all power when it's presented to us. But here we are cautioned to think twice about this commodity that everyone desires. So Jesus is tempted three times in the wilderness, and each time he resists, he overcomes the temptation. He does so by knowing who he is and not engaging Satan on his level. Satan comes to him the first two times, and he wants him to prove himself. He wants Jesus to prove himself here. But Jesus does not do so. He does not have to. Sometimes not engaging someone, not answering the question that you are asked, is the best form of defense. Jesus quotes scripture, but he does not have to prove himself to Satan. 
All of us face temptation. Most of us face it every day. It's part of life. To do right, we strive to do right, but temptation is always there. Um, things are going well, and then all of a sudden we, we stumble and we fall. We give in to temptation, and we often feel bad for doing so. Sometimes we beat ourselves up over it. What can we do about this? How do we address temptation in our lives? Well, one thing is we cannot avoid temptation. It's something that's always going to be there. Jesus faced temptation and we'll have to face it as well. But we can understand some things about temptation and we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord so that we can resist Satan. And one of the first things we need to understand is that the presence of Satan does not mean the absence of God. And so when Jesus is baptized, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descends upon him. At the beginning of the temptation narrative, we're told that Jesus is led out into the wilderness by the Spirit. And so the Spirit of God does not leave Jesus. And the same is true of us. When we are being tempted, it's easy for us to think we're just all alone. And we sometimes think that God is far from us because of maybe some unholy thoughts or ideas that are creeping into our mind. But the truth is, God is right there with us. He has not left us. He has not abandoned us. And so the next time you are tempted, remember that you're in the presence of the Lord. And lean into his presence. Lean into the presence of God and lean away from Satan. We overcome temptation by knowing that God is always with us. We must also be aware of what kind of state we are in. And so you'll notice that Satan comes to Jesus when he is weak. He comes to him after he spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting. And so we know that he is drained physically. He's probably drained emotionally as well. And if you were to document the times when you are tempted the most in your life, it would probably be at a time of weakness. And so maybe you are feeling depressed. Maybe you are all alone. Maybe you are dealing with a lot of stress in your life. And you just couldn't find the strength to fight the temptation that was right in front of you. When we are at our weakest, that is when we need to be careful about temptation. These are the opportunities Satan looks for in us, and that's when he's going to attack. He's probably not going to come at us when we are at our strongest. Satan is cunning. He is crafty, and he's always looking for that chink in our armor. He wants to come after us when he thinks he can win. And so if we're going to overcome him, then we need to be very careful at those moments in our life when we are weak for some reason. Now, there's much about Satan that we do not know. He's sort of this 
mysterious figure that shows up at various times throughout Scripture. We don't know what he looks like. Uh, The story of where he came from is unclear. But one thing we do know is we know what he does. The words Satan and devil are, are not so much names as they are descriptions. And these words mean accuser or adversary. In Matthew 4, 3, he is called the tempter. And so this is what Satan does. He is the voice of opposition. This is what Satan does in the book of Job. Job is a righteous man, but still Satan casts blame. In the garden, he creates doubt in the mind of Adam and Eve. And in our story this morning, he goes after the identity of Jesus. And so more than anything, what Satan does is he raises questions that cause us to doubt or cause us to second guess. Satan is alive and well. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, we're told that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But here's the deal. Satan is not going to show up in a red suit with a pitchfork. He's not going to come knocking on your door. He's not going to come announcing his presence. He's not going to, you know, maybe send a demon with horns that can easily be spotted by anyone who's looking. Satan may manifest himself in different ways. He may take different forms. But more than anything, Satan is going to be that little voice in your head that raises a question or causes you to doubt. So if we're going to overcome Satan's temptations, then we must be confident in our identity. This is where Satan goes after Jesus. When Jesus is baptized, God announces, this is my son. And when Satan comes to Jesus, he he begins by saying, well, if you are the son of God. Wait just a minute. God already made the announcement. It's true. But Satan wants to create doubt. And he does the same to us. When we put on Christ in baptism, we become a Christian. We become a child of God. We belong to God, and no one can take that away. We are his adopted sons and daughters. And when Satan comes along, he wants us to doubt that identity. He wants us to think that we are not loved by God. He wants us to question whether we truly are forgiven. When we are baptized, God says to us, you are mine. You belong to me. But Satan wants us to have second thoughts. And he's the voice inside our head saying, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. And so we overcome Satan by knowing that we are loved, knowing that we are forgiven, and knowing that we belong to God. He is our Father and we are His children. And so here's what you need to do this week. You need to live like you are loved. You need to know that you are forgiven. 
And you need to embrace your relationship to God the Father. And if you do those three things, then Satan cannot win. If you remain in Christ, then there is nothing the devil can do to move you from that position. We must remember that we serve a Savior who loves us so much that he came to earth and willingly died on a cross so that we might have forgiveness and so that we might be called the sons and daughters of God. Do not let Satan take that away from you. Do not doubt the greatest event known to humanity, an event that began with God's love for you and for me. And so may we center our lives around this magnificent event so that we never doubt who we are and who we belong to. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that we live in a dangerous world, a world filled with many temptations, many lusts and desires. And we are aware that Satan is behind much of this, that he wants us to fall, that he wants us to mess up, that he, he, he wants us to walk away from you. But Father, we also understand that you are greater than Satan. And we know that Satan cannot pluck us from your hand. That if we remain in you, that we know that we are loved by you, that we know that we are forgiven, that we know that we are your sons and daughters, there's nothing that Satan can do. So, Father, we pray for strength and courage. We ask you to, to help us on our Christian journey. There are times when we're weak. There are times when we are tempted to sin. We pray that you'll give us strength during those times, and we pray that We'll lean on you, but we'll also lean on our brothers and sisters in Christ. People that you have put in our lives to help us. We know all this is possible because Jesus came to this earth and he died on a cross and was raised three days later. Pray this in his name. Amen.